What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the Eric B to my rock him. He is the one, the only Chuck Holmes. We are coming at you on a beautiful Sunday morning. It's not really a beautiful Sunday morning, but the fact that Ohio State is coming off of another top 10 victory over uh, you know a really good Penn State team makes it beautiful. Our Cincinnati Bengals also, no chance they can lose today, which is sort of fun. <laughs> they have a bye week, so Chuck and I are, are free and clear. Chuck, how are we doing on this wonderful Sunday morning? You had me tricked there for a second. I had to open the blinds real quick, and I got reminded that it's the middle of October in Ohio. I am now regretting the decision. I know we talked a few weeks ago about how it was uh, pumpkin patch weekend, and I skipped it because it was too hot. Well, it's 46 degrees right now, and after we record this pod, I get to go enjoy pumpkins at 46 degrees so i'm regretting not going when it was 80 and let this be a lesson to everyone just sweat a little bit as opposed to waiting because it's not there is no fall we're going from summer to winter here in ohio and i am regretting mercifully my decision well i mean it's a moving target in your defense i think we're in like fall two right now and then Tuesday through Friday, <laughs> it's supposed to be in the 70s again. So like, you know, end of summer six, it's a total moving target. Are we allowed to say what we used to call when it got hot again or will we get canceled for that? I think you let it rip. Uh, we got an Indian summer coming, baby. I, I think that's fair. And I think we should keep that. No offense meant, obviously. It's just a term. It's just a term that we're familiar with. But um, obviously, Chuck and I are going to get to that impressive Ohio State. Well, impressive depending on how you look at it, right? But Ohio State did take down number 7 Penn State 20-12 yesterday in the shoe. But before we get there, Chuck, I want to talk about... It's been a couple weeks since we've really looked at the national landscape and talked about some players elsewhere a couple interesting results yesterday slash last night. You know, I'm going in order of rank here. Washington, oh man, gross, right? Did not score an offensive touchdown against Arizona State. They needed three field goals and a pick six, a long pick six. Arizona State was driving to go up even more on the Huskies last night, so... Washington remains undefeated, but a 15-7 victory at home, less than ideal. Number six, Oklahoma. UCF had a two-point conversion attempt to try and tie the game with them, but Oklahoma does hang on 31-29. Texas, Houston had a late fourth down conversion that they missed. Houston was up 21-0 at one point. They won 31 to 24 over Houston. North Carolina, I think I know your answer. I'm going to ask you what was most interesting or surprising. Number 10, North Carolina lost to 1 and 5, Virginia, or Virginia was 1 and 5 going into the game. And look, I know that program's been through a lot. Good for them 
to get this ranked victory. Dreadful football team. Like an awful, awful football team throughout the first month and a half of the season. But who's nation? Go, go nuts. Also last night, Utah continues to have Kayla Williams' number. I, I wish we could post this if we were up on YouTube. Maybe we'll have to think about this, Chuck. The graphic of Caleb Williams versus top 25 opponents, not good. If that's your consensus number one pick, enjoy. And, oh, our friends our friends in Iowa losing a game 12-10. to 10. <laughs> You want to talk about Ferentz Ball, living by the sword, dying by the sword. Um, late. Iowa could have gone for a fourth down. They decide to punt. They have their timeouts. They force a punt, a wild fair catch call, uh, but then Iowa gets the ball back, not a whole lot of time, can't score. They are now tied for the lead with 15 other teams in the Big Ten West, I think, just about every team that's ever suited up. So... Chuck, that's a lot of information, a lot of numbers, a lot of scores there. Give me a game or two or three that you found most interesting, most surprising, most laughable. Just go nuts. I don't put as much into that Washington struggle as I think some others will. It was inevitable that they were going to have a lull after last week's game and that huge win against Oregon if it continues then I think they've got an issue but just winning this week I think is all they really need it to continue that um, that trajectory that they think they're on yeah and real quick like I want to let you keep going but Arizona State I know they're one in six I think Kenny Dillingham is a yeah like they lost to Colorado by three they played against USC they were in that game so you look at the record and it's like, wow, they're really bad. But you're right. That's a perfect description. They're scrappy. Oklahoma, I don't think they have a win. I guess Texas was, wait, was the Red River shootout last weekend? Yeah. Was that too? Oh, so same thing, right? They're they're running off of some emotion that they could not keep up. Alabama is one that was really interesting to me. I Alabama scares the hell out of me right now. And I know Milrose not playing as well as uh, the last couple of Alabama quarterbacks, but he's playing as well or better than some Alabama quarterbacks that have won national championships in the past. And if they can run the table, I would be really, really worried if I was Georgia going up against them in a SEC title game. And because I think they can beat Georgia especially the way they're playing right now. They're so cockroaches, really man. Concerned. They're cockroaches. Uh, they are, and I I would hate to be lined up against Saban in a uh, CFP semifinal right now. I really would. The, the Caleb Williams thing is interesting, man. I don't think this is going to hurt his draft stock one iota, but good Lord, does it not look good the way he handles things. Like he yeah. is just, he is repeatedly making immature decisions and the stuff that they float out about the ownership. It's obvious he has nobody around him that is helping him make these decisions. This is apples and oranges, but it almost feels like he's getting advised like John Morant 
in that <laughs> they've got dad in their ear. Man, I hope it's of, not to that extent. No, I mean, it, it's it's one hundredth of one percent, but it's the same concept of dad's in my ear. Dad really doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's living vicariously through me and he's giving me bad advice and he's taking me down bad paths and they're they really don't know how the business works and it's it's costing him opportunities now he was i i said this preseason he he had no chance to win the heisman in my eyes just because a repeat is going to have to be better and how the hell was he going to repeat or be better than last year's season that that's a tough task now it's it's moot because two losses they're not even in the conversation he's had two bad games in the two losses so it'll be really interesting to see what's dug up on him over the next five six months as they try to get into draft season and all the teams that think they still want him as they try to disparage him so they can trade up to the number one pick i i don't know him from a hole in the ground right but it does seem like there is a serious lack of maturity there. And even the way he has handled losses in the past, the way that he handles wins, like I just, I'm not in love with the way that he carries himself and the way that he talks. And he, he seems a thousand percent over it. Like he's bigger than this. It's just something that is almost like a, a chore or a responsibility that he has to do every Saturday. And, Maybe that's just because he is or he can be that special. But teams care about that, man. Like professional teams cutting big paychecks, they care about that. And you you see some of the games, Utah just has his number. But that goes to show you that if, if a team comes up with the right system – they can solve you. And then teams learn from each other. Like all Utah did last night was drop seven. They rush four, they drop seven. They're like, hey, make smarter decisions than we are. I dare you. And he couldn't really do it. There are times when he wants to make the Mahomes play instead of the, I don't know, the like the Tom Brady play or something like that. Like, hey, just take what's in front of you, man. You don't have to run around for 20 seconds and find a get, wait for a guy to come open down the field 40 yards away. And I, I don't think anyone's doing him any favors. I think that I agree with you there. He, the biggest thing that jumps out to me is he just seems over it. Like this is beneath him. And that's not the way you want to handle yourself, man. Especially if you're trying to compete. But I don't know. Is he trying to compete? <laughs> There's a, I would not be shocked. Like maybe five percent chance, but I would not be shocked if Caleb Williams suffers that mysterious high ankle sprain or that busted finger on his throwing hand mysteriously, and he shuts it down at some point because he doesn't seem too invested. And if the team's not competing for a title, I don't know. As a parent. I would have a big issue if my now my sons are young and they're not currently football players, but I would have a big issue trusting my son to go play for Lincoln Riley if he lets his quarterback act like that. How about if he lets his defensive coordinator act like that? That too. That's that's well. <laughs> I, if I had a defensive, if I had a defensive uh, 
uh, son, I would be like, hey, playing time. Let's go. You're starting as a true freshman because these guys suck. But the the fact that they don't have somebody literally on staff to manage him is kind of stupid. And it doesn't have to be somebody crazy. It doesn't have to be. It could be a GA. Like during a game, what do GAs do? You got 3,500 of them. Have one of them be next to Caleb at all times. And at the end of the game, somebody that says, hey, get your ass up and go shake hands to and, and, and tell him reality. Don't even tell him it's because we want to be better sports. Tell him, hey, this is screwing with your draft stock. Go shake these guys' hands. Because guess what? That would have actually jogged him to get up and do it. Because it look, it just looks terrible. Like, quit being a dick is is essentially what they need somebody to four or five times a day, apparently, tell this dude. Well, and it's hard to see how they're not coddled or he's not coddled. I don't know if you caught this. USC made no players available after the game last night. It was Lincoln Riley up doing a... Pr- On one hand, maybe he's taking the bullets for his guys, but... That, again, no accountability. You're not bringing guys up to answer potentially tough questions. And I don't know that the questions would have been that tough. You know, Caleb Williams didn't play well. He didn't play bad. And so after after last week's loss, nobody really cares about him. So they wouldn't have they wouldn't have pounded him. Last week was the week that it would have been tough. And it really wasn't right. Hell, I mean, and we're going to talk about this. Drew Aller was in tears, but guess what? He sat there and he talked to everybody and answered every damn question. And there's accountability. Sometimes it's inherent. Sometimes it can be taught. I don't think that there's anyone teaching Caleb Williams accountability. And it certainly starts at the top with, I don't know, maybe his future NFL head coach. But that's neither here nor there. Before we get to some Heisman stuff, because I want to get your opinion on that. Let's talk about Iowa. I don't think, I think six people listening might give a shit, to be completely honest, but I find it fantastic. I love when Iowa loses a very winnable football game, and it's not because of the players, and it's not because I have an axe to grind with the University of Iowa. I think it's bullshit, man, that Kirk Ferentz continues to do this to the school, to the team. Like I I get it. I know they're winning some games and they make it to some nice bowl games and stuff like that. But the nepotism in him keeping his son on payroll and not just on payroll, but in a high profile position as the offensive coordinator, I think it is to a detriment to the team. I think it's a disservice to the fans of Iowa, although they're sort of brainwashed at this point, right? Because he's been there 25 years, but they don't even make the effort on offense. They certainly don't have the players to do anything. And when a thing or two goes wrong, this is the end result. We're now going to have zero ranked teams in the Big Ten West. I mean, Iowa was hanging on, right? They were ranked number 24 overall. But yeah, yesterday they give up four field goals in a game to Minnesota. Minnesota's not a good football team. They put up 10 points. They thought they got a late punt return, which is sort of what they hang their hat on. But you just look at some of the numbers, man. Like Deacon Hill, I get it. He's a backup. 10 for 28, 116 yards. Are we going to see Spencer Petras for the victory lap at some point? Deacon Hill also threw the interception. 
and running the ball against a Minnesota team that's not very good, 28 carries for 11 yards. I didn't reverse that, Chuck. That's 28 carries for 11 yards. That's less than half a yard per carry. Their leading receiver on the season has like a couple dozen yards. Um, It's just gross, man. And at some point, the Ference family needs to be held accountable. Seems like that's a theme on this week's podcast or today's podcast. There needs to be some accountability in Iowa City. We haven't seen it. We may not because of the money and the contracts involved, but I'm happy Iowa lost. Seriously, do you think Kurt will actually fire his son? Because he's not going to make the threshold and he's going to be terminated. Do you think he will retire? instead of doing it because he doesn't need the money. He's, I mean, he's, he's an older guy. We we've, there have been whispers for years that he may not have too much more time. If they let his son go, do you think he goes with him? No, only because I agree with you. He doesn't need the money, but show me one person who hates money and I'll call him a liar. They give him a 10 year extension after every 10 win season. So I know he's got a lot of time left on that contract. I think it would probably be the administration going to Ferentz and saying, hey, we got to cut him loose. I don't care what you say. We got to cut him loose, and he will begrudgingly do so at some point. Yeah, it's crazy. The West is all the teams in the East are going to be so happy, and I know they're going to have to go into the rotation with Washington and Oregon and all them when they're playing, but they're going to be so happy about the switch in scheduling. The West is going to be – they're just going to be bottom feeders. Like, look at these guys. They're not going to have any chance. Right now, they all have a, a motivation to go be a Big Ten West champ and get to play in the Big Ten title game once every three or four years. Those days are gone starting next year because there's no way Iowa getting is – they're not going to get to play these five same teams every year and go four and one against them. Same thing like Wisconsin – Oh, oh uh, Luke Fickle better get it going quick because they're going to be in the same boat if they don't. And I think he will. He he is a much better coach uh, and and program builder than, than Kirk Ferentz is. But it's crazy to think, and I only say this because Minnesota's got Ohio State left. So they, even though they beat Nebraska, uh, I don't think they control their own destiny because they're going to come to the uh, to the shoe and get stomped. Nebraska controls their own destiny because they have both Iowa and Wisconsin left. Like, good Lord. If you guys let Nebraska with Jeff Sims come in, Matt Rule should get a 400-year extension if he can win the Big Ten West and beat these scrubs in the first year because it's it, it is, it's gross football. I don't enjoy watching any of them. I only enjoy watching them when they're playing – Ohio State, honestly. I don't enjoy the Illinois-Northwestern game uh, is not something that I'm sitting down. I would I will watch another game or uh, I will schedule the pumpkin patch around that game instead of watching that gross set of football standards. And it is going to get worse, right? Because it, there's no draw at most of those schools either. Maybe Nebraska, but it's not... It's not 1995 anymore for them, unfortunately. So there's not a team in the West that I think is going to be set up well for the future outside of maybe Wisconsin because I think they've got a damn good football coach. But it's funny that Illinois sits there at the bottom. I'm a Burt fan. I'm a Ferentz family fan. 
good on them. Everyone's doing so, so well in the Big Ten West. But uh, tell you what, we need to get this taste out of our mouth. I want to talk about some Ohio State Buckeyes. But real quick, because I promise this, though, Chuck, give me a Heisman favorite or two. And I, I will tell everyone listening, begrudgingly so, right now, most places that you look, a one J.J. McCarthy is the favorite. He is the front runner. Look, I'm not going to bash Michigan because we don't have that privilege right now. They're playing JV football teams. Like I, I cannot remember a team such as a Michigan, uh, Florida State, Clemson, Oklahoma. Like go across the board. I've never seen a softer schedule in my entire life. I certainly can't remember one than the one that uh, Mich- or Michigan has played. Yeah, sorry. So. J.J. McCarthy's the favorite. To his credit, he looks good. But Chuck, you give me one or two of your Heisman favorites as we approach or we're at the midway point. I still think this is Michael Penix's to lose. If they run the table or go 11-1 and win the Pac-12, he is going to put up the numbers to justify it. And if they go 12-1 and and win the Pac-12 or 13-0 and and end up in the college football playoff, they or they will. Whoever wins the Pac-12 is going to end up in the playoff this year. He probably is the favorite. Now, if McCarthy runs the table, is good against Penn State and is good against Ohio State, he deserves that kind of love. The problem I have with it is he went from minus a, or plus a thousand to plus two hundred this week after beating Michigan State. Are we serious? That's the part that's bullcrap. Yeah. Like I get it, Penix didn't have a good game, but holy smokes. What, why would your odds drop like that? It's it's just, I, I don't know. I, I don't see him playing well in both of those games, and I think he will get washed out of it. I still think it's Penix's to lose. The, the numbers Jaden Daniels is putting up, though, like he's got a shot. If they end up 10-2, and two, I know they're probably not going to win the West, but if they end up 10-2, and two, well, I guess if they go 10-2, and two, they could. But they will, and he continues these numbers. I know they're comparing him to Burrow, what they're not comparing him or not mentioning is Burrow didn't lose any games, and Burrow's second half of his season was Insane. the best second half any yeah. fo- a football player has ever had in college football. So that part of it, he's got something to live up to. But uh, Marv is probably your only non-quarterback chance, and he would have to continue what he's doing. Right? He's going to have to be. He's going to have to get into that now. I brought this up preseason when we did some crazy or some crazy predictions. If he gets into that 16, 1700 yard range, he's got a shot, especially if they run the table. I don't I think he would have to be on an undefeated team. I don't think they can lose to Michigan and Marv win it. Um, and same thing with Travis and Gabriel. They would have to run the table and be in the college football playoff at 13 and 0 for either of them to have a shot. And one of those last few guys is the one that I'm particularly interested in. Dylan Gabriel's playing his ass off for Oklahoma. And he I don't is. think he I don't think he's getting enough love. You know, I think where I looked, he was third or fourth in the odds right now, but he's completing seventy one percent of his passes. He's got nineteen touchdowns to three picks. He's got five touchdowns on the ground. Oklahoma's beaten everyone. Um so I don't want to stretch this out too much longer, but I Dylan Gabriel might be the guy for me. I'll certainly have an eye on him. Maybe sprinkle a couple shekels 
on that because I'm sure his odds are a little bit longer right now. Right now, plus eight hundred. Yeah, there you go. And Marv, it's rare for a guy to still have a chance. And I know we've got a lot of football left to go. It does seem though, like right now, everyone's many people are to the point where they're like, yeah, this guy's probably maybe the best player in college football. And so if it's close, he may have an edge there. You know, people were like, hey, Devontae Smith is just the best player in college football. Let's give him the damn thing. And I don't know that Marvin Harrison Jr. will put up those numbers, but if he gets close, I I think perception is reality. And if people are just like, well, he's the best, let's just give it to him. You know, no one else is standing out head and shoulders above the rest. So just a little Heisman talk, but I'm ready to talk defensive coordinator Heismans, if that's a thing. I'm making it up. So let's give the people what they want and what they're here for, Chuck. Let's talk Ohio State, Penn State after a quick break. Need to wet my whistle. Get ready. Sound good to you? Let's do it. All right, man. Uh, We'll be right back after this. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. And breaking news, everyone. um, We tried to call this new podcast Hang Out with Jim Knowles. We called him repeatedly. Yesterday, um, couldn't get through to him. There may be some sort of cease and desist or uh, restraining order at this point on Chuck. He was trying to get a hold of the guy and be like, hey, come be a part of this podcast. It's not going to happen, but this will be a Jim Knowles love fest eventually. We're talking about a hell of a game, a hell of a performance by Ohio State's defense yesterday, but big picture here. Number three, Ohio State takes down number seven, Penn State. I don't know if you can say dominant from beginning to end, impressive from beginning to end, at least for the defense. The offense did enough. Um, Where do you want to start, man? Like, just let me ask you this before we get into some stats and some players. Chuck, was yesterday's performance from the Ohio State defense – the best that you can at least remember since the Trestle days? Oh, I don't think it's a, a question. And I would go so far to say that in my viewing memory, this is quickly becoming maybe the best defense that Ohio State has had. Now, I'm an older wow. guy. I have a few. Okay. It, it is. I mean, because, and, and here's why. Yesterday, they completely dismantled a top 10 team and it was never there was never a point where you were like oh Penn State's gonna get it going here like I did not feel that one time my all my worries yesterday were is the offense going to score enough to keep them bottled up and because if the if the offense didn't score my worry was Knowles is going to start pressuring a little too much or he's going to get a little crazy because he thinks he needs a a turnover or something. So the offense, that was my only concern, the way they handled this offense and don't get me wrong. I, now I don't think drew Aller is as good as 
uh, everybody thought he was. Why? And we did discuss a little Why? Bit. <laughs> he... We did we did we did discuss a little bit in the preview about the fact that he doesn't throw the ball deep. But that being said, they were still putting up 35, 40 points a game. Like they were scoring. They had a run game. So on Illinois, on Iowa, they've at least played some teams. Right. They haven't played like these defenses aren't uh, Michigan and Ohio State, but they're not uh, Central Michigan either. So I think there's something to that. And I think there's something to and I don't even the, the last touchdown to me was a perfect touchdown to give up. To me, they did exactly what they needed to do. Knowles knew it's two scores. We just want them to run clock. And that's exactly what they let them do. I firmly believe he could have stopped that touchdown, but it wasn't worth the risk. Keep them in front of you. Make the clock run. And even if they got that onside kick, they weren't going to have enough time to go score. That def- he Him adjusting his defense as the game flow happened was a master class. And he put a clown suit on, and we we've seen this guy have a clown suit before when he was on staff here. He put a clown suit on Yurisich, and it wasn't even it, it, they would have stopped the fight. Somebody would have thrown the towel in mid third quarter if this was a boxing match. You mentioned Knowles making adjustments throughout the game. It's even bigger than that. The adjustments that Jim Knowles and his other coaches have made with this iteration, with this year's version of the Ohio State defense, it's been perfect. I mean, yes, it doesn't really matter until they go to Ann Arbor and or until they play in a CFP because we saw some of this stuff last year, right? And then they got exposed. Granted, they they were giving up a lot of big plays last year and there were still some frustrations, but... Jim Knowles, Larry Johnson, Tim Walton, Perry Eliano, probably James Laurinaitis, like they all deserve a ton of credit for the way that they have adapted to their personnel, not the other way around. They've figured out what is going to make these guys successful, and then they've taught them the right things. They've coached them up to do the right things. For a month and a half, we've talked about the defensive ends, right? It's just not good enough. It's good enough. It's been good enough. It may not work against everyone. Like I said, we still need to see it against the Michigans, the Georgias, the whomevers, but JT Tuimoloau, Jack Sawyer, Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry now, they're all coming in. These guys are where they need to be. They're doing the right things. They're not allowing big things out to the edge. They're not um, failing to contain the quarterback. They're They're playing good, smart football, and they're being coached the right way. So... I cannot be more impressed with this Ohio State defense, and we'll talk some more about it. We kind of went out of order here, but it's just it's worth it in a certain sense because the Buckeyes defense has been so good. I think that Jim Knowles, he pitched a perfect game yesterday. If I want to borrow a baseball term, he pitched a perfect game. He was hitting his spots. He was getting guys out. No one got on base, and I'm with you. The last touchdown... That was to make Penn State use some clock and sort of work to their own disadvantage because they couldn't take big shots downfield and Knowles wasn't about to let them. But let's bring it back. Let's rein it in. Let's go full circle. 
we usually start with the offense and we start to look at these position groups, Chuck. So let's look at the quarterbacks yesterday. And I want to start with Penn State's quarterback. We don't always give a ton of love to the opposing quarterback. And I guess this episode is going to be no different. Not a whole lot of love coming here. But yesterday, Drew Aller, Penn State's quarterback, finished 18 for 42, 191 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions, QBR of 29.4. The longest completion he had was a catch and run to tight end Theo Johnson. And Chuck, I don't know if you remember the play. Somebody put like a finisher on JT Tuimoloau on that rollout. Like wrapped it around his shoulder in his neck. I think it was a Rowdy Roddy Piper sleeper. And of course it goes uncalled, right? And it's a long catch and run. So if you want to give credit to Aller for that, more power to you. I won't. His next longest completion, 19 yards to Dante Cephas. So everything that he where he hit Keandre Lambert-Smith, the team's leading wide receiver, everything was underneath. Lambert averaged 8.7 yards per catch. Drew Aller at one point was 10 for 32. He got hot, right? Air quotes, 8 for 10 late. That's because Ohio State was letting him have things. But... When it mattered, for as long as it mattered, Drew Aller was 10 for 32. Um, He was flustered. He was lost. He was often rushing throws. And when he wasn't doing that, he was holding on to the ball for too long. Like, Ohio State had him off base. They had him off kilter. He was lost out there. And then when he was taking some of the deeper shots... Maybe he just had a bad game. I don't watch a lot of Penn State football because I don't care to. He was awful throwing the ball downfield. Like he just even some of the the far the further outs, some of the stuff that yeah, it takes some arm strength, but it's not necessarily 30 yards down the field. He couldn't hit those throws. So you're right. We did talk about it on Wednesday's podcast. The the deep numbers were not great for him. Now I see why. This kid really struggles, and maybe his guys on the outside also struggle to get separation, but I was not impressed with Drew Aller in the least bit yesterday, and maybe a little, not that he needs it, but a little bit of a redemption for Ryan Day and not recruiting him harder. Is that fair? I'm going to defend the kid for, uh, there's a couple reasons why I think he was not put in a position to succeed. And well, I do and not think... Before you do, he was the no- he was the number one guy, Chuck. Like, I, I don't want to shit on him either, and I think you're going to come to his rescue a little bit. So I, I don't mean to interrupt, but the kid's clearly got some talent. It wasn't shown yesterday. It wasn't. It wasn't. And and here is why I think it was. There's there's two things that they really, really failed. And this is a, this is a an indictment on Yurisich as an offensive coordinator, and he failed his quarterback yesterday. This was a one-score game until four minutes and seven seconds left in the game. For them to only run their two running backs 18 times combined is criminal. Christ, Mayan Williams got 24 carries, or (laughs) maybe it was 26. Like, if Mayan's getting more carries than your two running backs combined— you're an idiot. Like you're just, it's just a terrible 
mind-blowing decision. And even if they're not working, which they weren't great, but they were fine. I mean, if you look at it, Singleton was five yards to carry. I know he busted one, but hey, busting one is maybe all you need, right? So for them to not run the ball more and give him some opportunities was it was complete it was just it was mind-blowing that they did that and then for you to not and I get it he did not seem very um very accurate on the deep ball if you're going to throw it you at least got to throw a couple early like legit deep shots to loosen a defense up and they never gave that chance if the like at some point you've got to do something whether it's try to stretch the defense a little deeper or run the get or, or run the ball to pull them closer but if you just let them stay in their spots this Ohio State defense is really damn good and Knowles is really good at calling a defense they're going to eat you up if you don't do one or the other and they didn't do that for him they gave him no chance in this game And I actually, I applaud the kid because he cares for him to sit there and answer questions with tears in his eyes. Like he's going to be a good college quarterback. I don't know if he'll be an NFL quarterback, but he is going to be a good college quarterback. And his emotion and the way he cares about football and and showed it yesterday is why I love college football. That's a good point. He's the antithesis of Caleb Williams, I think, yesterday at least. Absolutely. But your point about the running game, I I completely agree. And it's like, what's the difference between a, a poor incompletion on third and six versus, I don't know, trying a, a draw play or something out of the backfield? Like, if you're just going to pump the ball all day, what's it matter how you get to fourth down? So give the ball to your running backs more. I, I guess it it's sort of stark the way I look at it now. I I watched it. I knew what the stats were thereabouts. 42 pass attempts to your right. Let's call it 19 rushing attempts because Keandre Lambert-Smith took a reverse, I think it was. That is criminal. And I know it wasn't successful from the get-go. Nick Singleton only had, he ripped off like two decent runs and it was on the same drive. But you're right. If you're beating your head against the wall with a quarterback who's struggling, why don't you beat on the wall with two running backs who you know are capable? But maybe that goes to what we sort of talked about in the preview pod against an Illinois, against an Iowa, against some other teams. Penn State has not run the ball that well. So that's sort of going down a different road. I said we're going to start with quarterbacks, and damn it, I mean it, Chuck. On the other side, Kyle McCord, 22 for 35, 286 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. Another gross strip sack. But other than that, like, I don't know. I think the narrative yesterday about McCord is or was probably more negative than it needs to be or needed to be I'm a McCord defender so maybe I'm going to come across as like being a homer look Kyle McCord was erratic he was not bad there is a huge huge difference there is a chasm between those two sort of adjectives right there were several throws 
the Kyle McCord would like to have back. I'm sure of that. But at the same time, like, 22 for 35 is not a bad day at the office. 286 yards against going into this game, the best defense in the country, is not a bad day at the office. The strip sack, as bad as it was, it got called back. He didn't throw an interception. His QBR was 87, if you're into that sort of thing. I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that Kyle McCord was great yesterday. He wasn't championship level yesterday. A game like that's not going to work against, probably not going to work against, I don't know, Georgia, Bama, as good as their defense sort of looks right now. Um, Maybe Florida State, Michigan. It might not work against some of those other teams on the biggest stage. But Kyle McCord also made some good throws yesterday. You know, that seam route to Cade Stover, Stover, to his credit, gosh, what a catch. Mossed the guy. McCord did what he needed to do. And I think when it came down to it, he was like, all right, this is a Marv game. And I'm going to target him ad nauseum as much as I need to. So I'm not going to bash Kyle McCord. I'm not going to prop him up much either. But I think a lot of people are like, oh, gosh, they're never going to win a title with this guy. Like, let's pump the brakes. He's He's been pretty damn good this year. He's thrown one interception in seven games. I'm not going to give you the yardage and touchdowns because I don't have it here in front of me. But he was okay yesterday. He was probably still above average, in my opinion. Kyle McCord's biggest issue yesterday, and this is going to kind of, I guess we can skip running backs and come back to them because I kind of want to bash him in with with the wide receivers he nobody was open julian fleming doesn't get open xavier johnson doesn't get open he's like you and i talked last night he's a gadget guy when he has to play 30 40 snaps and is consistently lining up in the slot he doesn't get open enough fleming's never open like he threw Fleming four or five balls yesterday and he was covered every single time. Now that is where I think McCord has got to get better. There were four or five different throws where he forced to his first look, whether they were open or not. The only guy you can do that with is Harrison. If Fleming, if Johnson, even Tate, I'm not comfortable with yet just because he's a freshman. If those guys are covered, you've got to go off of them. And he did not do that yesterday. Now, Harrison bailed him out. And this is what we talked about a lot preseason, that with Harrison, he has that security blanket that he can just go and go to him. But I think his his challenge right now is, and we talked about how great this receiver room is, it's not very good. Like, Fleming is just not, he's just not it. Ballard doesn't even see the field. Tate took his spot. Tate's a true freshman. Like you can't expect him to be a 70 snap guy and be the guy in the places that you need him to be in. That's just not realistic. So the fact that none of the upperclassmen can see the field and you have to rely on this freshman is kind of damning to these guys. And I know they were all five stars, but they're not carrying their weight. And it sure doesn't like I have no. Uh, confidence that Abuka is going to be back anytime soon. I just, and and I don't know that we want to get into the injury stuff, but there's nothing that would tell me he's going to be available next week, the week after, whenever he may be, who knows? So 
you've got to figure out the other guys and you've got to figure out how to get these guys open because they can't do it themselves. And they're causing a lot of Kyle McCord's struggles. I agree with that. I'm not going to address the Fleming talk. Um, he's bad, own, man. Like he's, my, he's just not, he's not a starting receiver at a top 10 program. Here's the problem. I'm going to defend him, but not just him. I think that both Julian Fleming and Xavier Johnson, they're number three options. And I think they're number three options out of the slot. Unfortunately for them, Emeka Egbuka is a thousand times better than both of them. Like the issue with Fleming is you're right. He doesn't get separation. But when you're treating him on the outside like a Marvin Harrison Jr. or a T. Higgins, like he's just not that. He needs to feed off others. And how can you get separation if somebody's not good at it? You put him in the slot. You match him up against safeties and linebackers. It's just I don't think that's ever going to be an opportunity for him. Same thing with Xavier Johnson. He was a walk-on for a reason. He's worked his ass off. But he's a gadget slot guy. So... I think the wide receiver room is still very good, but they're sort of specialized at this point, and they feed off of both Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. And when one's not available, I think then we see some struggles. But I still think McCord was fine yesterday. We've got seven weeks now where, like I said, he's only thrown the one interception. He's been pretty good, so I'm not going to bash the guy. Let's move on to running backs. We talked about Penn State's already. Nick Singleton, 9 for 48. Katron Allen, 9 for 26. They didn't get a ton of opportunities. I think that was, I guess, a missed opportunity for Penn State. You got to feed those horses. On the other side, I mean, guys tried. Um, They were physical, I guess. They didn't fumble. Like, I don't know what sort of nice things you can say about Ohio State's rushing attack yesterday other than they ate some innings, they were present, they were out there. Interestingly enough, Mayan Williams led the backfield with 24 carries for 62 yards. That's only a 2.6 yard per carry average. That was also tops on the team. He did score a rushing touchdown. Ohio State was a little bit better in short yardage situations yesterday. This running game struggling, man. I'm surprised we didn't see Dallin Hayden, who looked much more explosive than any of these guys against Purdue. There was a bit or a quote from Ryan Day. He said that Tony Alford said that Mayan Williams and Chip Trainum were the best options yesterday. I don't assume that he would just make that up. I find it interesting. Maybe it's just the physicality or the hypothetical physicality and ability of Penn State's defensive line that they wanted sort of the bigger, more experienced guys out there. The running game wasn't good. Probably a reflection of the offensive line. They did enough to help Ohio State put some points on the board, but the running game's an issue. It has been all year. Maybe Travion Henderson's a little more important than we give him credit for. Unfortunately, I'm not going to give him a whole lot of credit because it seemed... I need to watch what I say. I'm not entirely confident that Travion Henderson loves playing football. I'll leave it at that. But I think Ohio State needs him in the backfield. Or they need Dallin Hayden. They need to commit to something other than these battering rams that you run into the middle of the line. Because that's sort of what Mayan Williams and Chip Trainum are. They can serve a purpose. 
but they're not going to get you explosive gains. I'm almost willing to give them an incomplete because this line is so damn bad of run blocking. Mayan got hit before he hit the line 15 of those carries, at least. And if you told me it was 20 of them, I would not be shocked. He was getting blasted in the backfield, and he is not the wiggle guy. And like you talked about, maybe Travion's that answer. My concern with what they said about those guys being the best option is Tony Alford's an old school guy. He's He's been coaching for a, a long time. He was, he, he has uh, kind of bridged eras of college football. And what he said to me screams of, they're the older guys. They deserve to deserve the shot. And if that has even one percent of truth in it, that's absolute bullshit. And he should be, he should not be the coach, the running back coach. If this is a seniority thing, it's it's ridiculous. And the fact that Hayden did what he did last week, bailed your ass out, and then you're going to treat him like that is ridiculous. If I was the two guys on that are committed for 24, and I'll be honest, I don't even know if Sam what's going on with Sam Williams Dixon. I actually watched Pick North play Friday night, and he did not play, so I don't know if he's hurt. But if I was uh, either of these guys, I would be considering my options because what are you going to do? Are you going to come in and play, or do you have to settle wait down now? Settle hurt? down. But but think about it. Hayden has been the most productive back. This season, and he he can't get field. You just had a guy average two yards a carry, and you can't get on the field. Your number one running back is hurt, and you can't like it. To me, there there's there's something going on in that room that that is fishy, and I don't like it. And I don't like the idea that seniority rules. This isn't uh, these aren't teamsters. This is we're trying to get in a package car at UPS. The 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 guy that's been longest gets the package car that the bay is playing and to me that's an issue that not now and that doesn't even start with the offensive line sucks so bad i don't even we shouldn't even talk about it again because what are we going to say we're just here to say they suck it's 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 a problem and i don't know how they fix it i've got a surprise for you chuck because i want to move on to the offensive line (laughs) for for one reason i think that All of your points were relevant about the running backs. What it comes down to, honestly, is I think that this is probably, I I know that this is the worst offense that Ryan Day has had at Ohio State. And that's, that's not fair to the offense because like the bar is so egregiously high. I think he's trying to figure things out. He doesn't have the answers and everything is, you know, it's exacerbated. The problems are exacerbated by a poor offensive line. He's probably like, shit, I don't know what to do with these guys. Like, I don't know if the zone scheme, gap scheme, like, I, I don't know what's going to work. Um, but I'm not going to argue with any of your points related to the running backs. And I sort of want to skip past the receivers because we talked about it a little bit already. This group needs a Mecca Buka badly. And I will, I'll, I'll say this though. Ohio State has a stretch right now. I, To what extent against, like you can't mess around with these teams that Ohio State has coming up on the schedule, but with Wisconsin, Michigan State, uh, Minnesota, Rutgers, 
I think that Ohio State has an opportunity to experiment later in the season. I do think that we'll start to see a lot more Carnell Tate. He played quite a bit yesterday. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see a lot more Brandon Ennis. He was a late arrival, or he was a summer enrollee, fall enrollee, whatever he was here at Ohio State. I don't think that they can continue to go to the well with Julian Fleming and Xavier Johnson unless they're in the right spots. Julian Fleming Fleming is typically a good run blocker. Maybe that's why he's going to continue to see time. But yeah, like you got to start trying some different things because this group against Michigan, well, the I left don't... tackle then. The left tackle. <laughs> I mean, a couple hours in the weight room, Julian Fleming might be able to get there or an H back sort of role for him. Speaking of Cade Stover, another good game, four for seventy, possibly the greatest tight end in Ohio State history. We'll just move on. Ohio State's offensive line. The run blocking is an issue. There's no getting around it. I've got to give them some credit, though, yesterday. They were pretty good in pass protection. I know, I know that Chop Robinson went out, maybe looked like a concussion, looked bad. You hope that guy can get in. Not just selfishly, so that that Penn State has him against Michigan. He's a good football player, and he seems like a good kid. And Penn State wants to have him out on the field, so I, I hope that he gets back out on the field sooner than later. But even without Chop Robinson, Penn State has a good pass rush. You look at Danny Dennis Sutton, former five-star guy, Adisa Isaac, high four-star guy. Then they can throw linebackers at you like Manny Diaz he mixes it up he wants to fool you he wants to be exotic Ohio State's offensive line held up and that's where I think you've got to give them credit I think that you have to give Ryan Day and Brian Hartline some credit Justin Fry some credit because they stood up you know Penn State was credited with two sacks uh I remember one vaguely, and that's it. And I know they had the strip sack that was called back, didn't count. But Ohio State's offensive line stood up against a good defensive line for Penn State and also some really good linebackers and a defensive coordinator who wants to confuse you. So, I don't know, Chuck. Can we give, I don't want to say flowers, can we give some sort of credit or acknowledgement to the Ohio State offensive line in pass pro? No, and here's why. Because they're making the pass passing game more difficult by being so bad as run blockers. It's not that they're just okay as run blockers and they're really good as pass blocking. Their run blocking, I would venture to say, is the worst I've seen at Ohio State. In they can't get years. to the next it level. Awful. These they are brutal. And because of that, it's putting McCord in terrible spots. It's putting these receivers. Guess what? There's there's a way for Julian Fleming to get open. It's if you got another second because you can run a little play action or you can uh, pull linebackers up. There there are opportunities that they cannot exploit because the run game is just so brutal. Manny Diaz knew within seven minutes of that game that they're not going to be able to run the ball against us. 
and they were able to do stuff to McCord because of it. So, no, I, I'm not willing to give them credit for being decent at half their job because the other half is so, so, so brutally bad. It's just, it's terrible. You said seven minutes into the game. So I think by my estimation, that's probably about 1245 because big noon kickoff means big 1220 kickoff or whatever it was, but point taken. Unfortunately, at this point, like you're going to continue to work on it and hopefully they improve, but you can't make drastic changes. I don't think so. This is sort of what they're stuck with. They got to continue to preach fundamentals and I think it's going to be an issue all year with Ohio State's offensive line, and hopefully they can work around that. Let's get to Ohio State's defense because we're nearly an hour in. I don't want to go four hours. We might go three because that's where I'm at with this defense and Jim Knowles. Damn, they were good yesterday, man. Like Ohio State's defense at all three levels, they were prepared. They, they executed everything. The rotations, we've kind of pissed and moaned about rotations. They were perfect yesterday. They were flawless. This is why. This is why we've pissed and moaned about them, because they're working. They were they were flawless yesterday. You know, when you think about when Steel Chambers was in the game versus when Cody Simon was in the game, perfect. When Jordan Hancock moved inside, Jermaine Matthews came in to play outside corner, boundary corner, perfect. Defensive line, rotations were perfect. Like, And it's not just Jim Knowles. Like, he's going to get a ton of the credit. Ohio State's defensive line has gotten better and better. They're not – I know they had four sacks yesterday. They're not going to get four sacks per game. But they are doing their job. They are, are you know – executing very, very well. They are coming up in big moments. So Larry Johnson deserves a ton of credit. Linebacker play, still questionable, but they were good yesterday. Secondary, gosh, it's like how much do you want to put the blame on Drew Aller versus how much credit do you want to give Ohio State secondary? It's not a small sample size anymore. Like We're seven games in. You want to air it out like Western Kentucky did? Cool. We got it. You want to try the balanced approach? Notre Dame tried it. We're good. We got it. And then we see Penn State yesterday. I'm not real sure what their approach was, but whatever they were trying, it didn't work. Gosh, like it's hard to go back and look at some of the teams like the Bosa Darren Lee, Raekwon McMillan, Jeff Okuda, sort of, they were all around the same time, right? That was a hell of a defense. But this, uh, this honestly is the defense, or a defense, top to bottom, left to right, all around. This is up there with the... 0-2 defense right now. Like, I don't want that to be hyperbole. Maybe there's some stats that you can tell me otherwise. I'm starting to think about this defense in the same way. And I don't want to compare stars to stars because it's just, it's too hard to do that. It's different. The guys get a ton of credit. And Jim Knowles and his other defensive coaches, they deserve a ton of credit because they're they're making all the right moves right now. Like Tom Cruise, baby. 
They're making all the right moves. And it's hard to even... It's hard to find one hole to poke with this defense. Do you agree? I don't know that I've seen a Ohio State defense that you could argue has... Just doing quick math, I would say 18 to potentially 20 players that you're confident being on the field. Well, you got seven. Okay. You got, I mean, you think about it, you got four defensive ends you're confident in. We got three or four defensive tackles. We're up to three linebackers. We've got four corners now. Once Burke comes back, you got three, four. I, Maybe yeah, five, like five or six pitchers. safeties. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is, it, it's phenomenal. The depth they've produced and the fact that they're using the depth, it just, it, it, it makes my heart happy. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because you mentioned the number of players and I sort of thought you were crazy. You started to rifle up the numbers. Maybe it is like upwards of 18 and what's sort of wild is, is that number doesn't include Jihad Carter. It doesn't include Cam Martinez. Um, it does not include Jair Brown, who was starting at cornerback for this team last year. So that's what I think is impressive, is they're up to 17, 18 players, and it doesn't include guys who started football games last year. It really is something, and all the credit goes to these players and these coaches because they – took the misgivings last year and the the errors that they made and they have leaned into them and they are building and they're getting better this defense is way better than it was six weeks ago and if that continues like this is a this is a special group and it is it's crazy and I can't even like give a a favorite part of it I will say one thing though and Unfortunately, this is nothing that Davison Igbenosin has done wrong. But Jordan Hancock is my new favorite cornerback on this team. I'm not saying he's the best. I love watching that guy play football. I was I was hesitant beginning of the year. I just I knew he had the pedigree, but I hadn't seen enough. My God, does he fly around? And I just I love watching him play. He's my new favorite defender. Below Sonny. I mean, Sonny can't be beat, but he is my second favorite defensive player on this team, and it's 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 just fun to watch. I'm going to give you a term I know you're familiar with. He's a football player, Jesse. Like, no matter where you put him, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's figuring it out. But let's break it down a little bit. Let's look at all three levels. Ohio State's defensive line yesterday, I can't say they were the strongest unit out there because the secondary was just as good, if not better. But this defensive line... We, we've talked about it, man. For like a month and a half, we were like, it's just not good enough. It, but like I said earlier, it might be good enough. Um, as a group, they were credited with three of the four sacks yesterday. Caden Curry had one. Kenyatta Jackson had one. We saw him on the field quite a bit, specifically in the second half. Now, some of that was due to Ohio State, I think, getting a little bit winded. But I think some of it is also because Kenyatta Jackson's starting to earn some trust. He's going to earn some more playing time. He had a sack. And then, of course, JT Tuimoloal and Jack Sawyer. Jack Sawyer played well. He actually led the defensive line in tackles, I think. He was credited with three total. 
And Ty Hamilton in the middle, he also had three. But I want to stick with the defensive ends. They played great football yesterday. They made Drew Allen, Drew Aller uncomfortable. They were good against the run when they needed to be. They got support from the defensive tackles. But, you know, Mike Hall Jr. and Tyleek Williams, they weren't needed or called upon a lot yesterday. They did exactly what they needed to do. But I think that the defensive ends sort of borderline dominated. And you think about JT Tuimoloau. If this guy could just play against Penn State for the rest of his career, he'd be a top five pick. And the game last year, sort of fluky just because like, I've never seen a game from a defensive end like the one that he had. And he didn't do the same things yesterday, but he's going against a guy in Olu Fashanu who is actually projected to be a top five pick. And... He didn't beat him on his sack. They, I think they had a pull. They had a right tackle. Maybe it was a tight end coming around. Tui Melo, I got off the line so quickly that that guy coming around in the Penn State backfield, he didn't stand a chance, and neither did Drew Aller. So JT Tui Melo did that. He knocked down a pass. I think um, he hit Drew Aller's arm on the third or fourth down late. And then I don't know how many people saw it, but on the play where Kenyatta Jackson was credited with the sack, and he deserved it because he brought down Aller by himself. But on that play, JT Tuimoloau hit Olu Fashanu with a Bosa. I know you remember years ago, Joey Bosa pushed Penn State's left tackle at the time, or right tackle at the time, into maybe Hackenberg, whoever the Penn State quarterback was, and like used that lineman to take down the Penn State quarterback, JT Tuimoloau pushed Fashanu into the backfield right up against Drew Aller. And that is a, we're talking about a bona fide top five offensive line prospect. JT Tuimoloau gets a, a gold star, an A-plus or whatever for yesterday. He was awesome. And I am now coming around on this defensive line because I... I think that I know what it's being asked to do, and I'm okay with it. Well, the other part is they're actually doing it. You don't have to put them down four, five, six times in a game. It's great that you do, but what they're doing, like Sawyer didn't have a sack yesterday, but he moved Aller off his spot two or three times. To me, and I know the definition of hurry is different than what I think it is, For me, if you can move that quarterback, if you get his feet moving and he's got to throw on the run or he's got to relocate, that is being disruptive, and that's what you need. And for a guy like Aller, that shook him. It uh, it was obvious. For a guy like J.J. McCarthy, it might shake him. Guess what? He hasn't had to deal with something like that. So if they can move him off his spot, I think it changes things. So I agree. They... They don't have to get these guys down. The, the issue I had earlier in the year, and it's not the issue now, is they weren't even coming close. Like nobody even know. Like they didn't even know what JT Tuimolau had for lunch because they couldn't even smell his breath. He was that far away from them. So they, if they're in the face of the quarterbacks, they're going to make plays. I like really how, and, and maybe this can can be the transition. I like how 
they are calling the defense that the the linebackers and the defensive line are kind of ebbing and flowing right now. They are in a good sync of knowing when to blitz guys, when to drop the defensive ends into uh, coverage, when to just flat blitz guys. And they they are they're an amoeba right now, and they're really moving in sync. And you could we could argue the same thing with the corners and the safeties, but the linebackers did a really good job yesterday, and the, and the coaching staff did a good job of putting them in a position that they were kind of six to seven guys moving in concert, almost like a ballet, and it it was it was um, it was beautiful to watch. It's very eloquent by you, Chuck. But I th- I think you're right, like. I'm an eloquent kind of guy. No, you're not. They <laughs> they figured out the front six slash front seven. They have. They've figured out their, their substitution patterns, their groupings. Like I said, I don't want to I don't want to call these guys the 85 Bears yet because we still have to see it against the best teams in the country. And hopefully we will. But they're balling out right now. Let's transition to those linebackers. We can make it quick. Tommy Eichenberg led the Buckeyes in tackles with eight total. He had a half tackle for loss. Steel Chambers, a bit, a bit of a revenge game. He knocked down a two-point conversion, but earlier and just throughout the game, he was more or less where he needed to be. He needed a get-right game, and I think this was primarily that for him. But then they subbed in Cody Simon when they needed to. He was credited with five total tackles. He, I'm not around on Cody Simon. I'm starting to come around a little bit. And then I don't think that they really use Sonny Styles as a quasi linebacker, but they had him up around that group a little bit more. So credit to those guys. Not a ton of plays to be made. But what I really want to talk about now is the secondary. Chuck, if you're okay moving on, I know you want to talk about your boy J.H. The entire secondary, A-plus for me yesterday. And again, it's how much do you want to give them credit versus Drew Aller and in, in sort of knocking his game, his performance. But I was legitimately concerned when Denzel Burke left the game last week, like when he went down, I was already pre-concerned for Penn State week. They announced that he was going to be out. And it's not that I lacked faith in maybe Jermaine Matthews Jr., but I thought Penn State would be better. I thought that they would test him a little bit more. Guess what? When they did test him, it didn't matter. Jermaine Matthews Jr. passed said test, and that's when he was out on the field. He rotated with Jordan Hancock. Perfect rotation and execution from those guys. Davis Nygmanosin, like, you didn't even really hear much about him yesterday. All he did was rack up five solo tackles. I think that he is, he's not the stickiest cover guy, right? But he's big, he's physical, he plays a certain brand of corner, he wants to get his hands on you, he will gamble, which means that he will lose from time to time. But those three guys, like I'm so, so impressed with Jermaine Matthews Jr., but not far behind him is Jordan Hancock. That guy, it took him a while, he was never healthy, and when he early on in his actual playing career at Ohio State, He struggled from time to time, but he can move inside and out. He can play physical. 
He can play an athletic brand of football where he's sticking with corners. He's sticking with whoever you ask him to stick with out of the slot. And gosh, man, like I'm not going to put this group up there with like the Jeff Okuda led secondaries. I just, that was a special secondary, but this group is slowly becoming a pretty damn good secondary. And that's not even taking into account the safeties. They didn't have to do a whole lot yesterday. Sonny Styles got a sack. Four total tackles. Lathan Ransom just didn't get me. Lathan Ransom had a boring game. He was probably like, guys, give me something to do. But they didn't need him to go clean up aisle six. So just a great game by this secondary. Josh Proctor as well. Tackle for loss. Got his hands on two balls. (laughs) This group impresses. And a couple of these guys are playing the best football of their lives. I wish you would pause there. Poor Josh Keep it in. Keep it in. (laughs) Keep it in. (laughs) He had a couple of pass deflections. How about that? Good Lord, man. True. Show my man. Put some respect on my man's name. Holy smokes. The poor guy. I I don't know what to add. They played their asses off yesterday and they are, it's the same concept. These guys are really moving in, in concert. The, the coaching staff is making the right calls. They're being flexible. And when they play guys where, and if you got four cornerbacks that can play at a big time level, along with four to five safeties, you don't, like you said, losing Burke now. I, Burke shouldn't play next week. Would you agree? Give him the week. Give him another week off. Now everybody else gets two, three, four weeks off when they're hurt. Why not give him another week off and see what these guys can do? I mean, you, who are you going against? You're not going against Mordecai, so don't worry about it. I would be fine with that. But yeah, they're they're rolling and they're so much fun to watch because when a guy goes back to pass, when these quarterbacks go back to pass, even if they are sitting there and you're screaming to get pressure, the confidence is there that there's not going to be somebody running wide open like in the past. I don't know if it's because guys have just learned the system better. I don't know if it's because younger guys have now become more experienced. Jermaine Matthews Jr. might just be a special ass dude. And that's why he's playing as a true freshman. But yeah, like they're not lost. Like they're where they need to be. And it's almost the exact opposite of what we saw last year. You know, Jair Brown played as a true freshman. He was okay. Um, but Cam Martinez was rarely okay. Like they just have guys out there who are in the right spots doing what they need to do. And they've all gotten a little bit smarter. And they've all gotten a little more comfortable with each other. And I think you've got some leaders back there. Josh Proctor, like he was sort of shit on for five years. Was he not? Like we saw glimpses. If you got him pointed in the right direction and didn't force him to think, like that was the one thing that Josh Proctor could do. Now that he's damn near 30 years old, he's a little bit smarter. He's a little bit wiser. He's playing fantastic football and I'm really happy for him because I was always a Proctor guy and he sort of let me down and who am I to judge right but it was always something with that guy he was a starter last year for 12 seconds and then they're like not only are you out of the starting lineup you're not going to see it again and so good on him good on this whole defensive secondary Tim Walton Perry Eliano they also deserve a ton of credit because They're with these guys every single day. 
and they've gone from a total liability to a strength. So I think that's great by them. I, I don't know where... Okay, let's do it. I, you're shaking your head. I know you don't want to. Very briefly, we've talked about all the real position groups. Give me 30 to 60 seconds on special teams. Go. I, I don't have 30 to 60 seconds. They suck. It it I I hate when Ohio State has the special teams. Hey, Jesse Mirko, Jesse Mirko had a heck of a punt, probably his best game yesterday, but like it's hard to how do you coach up a kicker? Jaden Fielding's been pretty good this year, right? And Jesse Mirko had a game yesterday, but Ohio State can't return a kick to save their effing lives. Like, I almost really dropped the, the firm, aggressive four-letter right there, but we try not to on this podcast. They can't return kicks. They can cover them, I guess. But then, late in the game, I don't remember the exact situation, but what does Ohio State do when they're, they are hoping to cover a kick and pen, pin Penn State deep? They kick it to the ten. On a kickoff, and Penn State gets a run back to the 37, I think. It's situational football. They have a full-time paid head coach to teach situational special teams football, and they repeatedly fail. So I'm not really jumped in on this debate because I'm sort of like Ryan Day, I think, in that I don't really care. Special teams is going to come back to bite them in the ass if they don't just play, coach, and be smarter. The When Lorenzo Styles got caught up... That's coaching. That's coaching. That's not on him. It's, it's a little half, but... Well, you know. no. Here's the thing. If they weren't coached up to yell, if... Uh, was it Ballard back there then? If Ballard wasn't yelling, get away, or Peter, or whatever it is, uh, if he wasn't yelling it, he can no longer be the punt returner. And if he was yelling it and Styles did it, he can no longer be on the punt return team. Period. What, whichever one it was, they cannot be. And if it's not something that they coach, that's something that's coached at high school. I was with a former high school coach as we watched uh, Friday night. We were at a, a high school football game and the same thing happened. If you're not yelling and if that's not the first thing you teach at the high school level, you're out. And, and so if you're not doing that at Ohio State, he's got, they got to go. Somebody, there has to be a change made based on that. You cannot tell me that that's not something that Ohio State can execute. It's it's unacceptable. And it almost, like, you get an offense that's worth a damn, it's going to cost you. I agree. And I, I want to see some options returning kicks. I know that's probably less important. And... You got to be able to trust that individual. Jaden Ballard has not done anything to lose trust. I don't think he's clearly back there for a reason. But three for thirteen yesterday, they put Chip Traynham back to return a kickoff. We saw that last year. He is a straight line missile. He's not a kickoff returner. For the love of Pete, give me Carnell Tate. Give me Brandon freaking Innes. I. I watched both of them return kicks for touchdowns in high school last year. Like, the tape exists. I'm pretty sure Ohio State coaches have seen it. 
give me something, man. So I think that needs to get better, but I don't want to rain on this parade. Ohio State with a hell of a victory. They've now got two top tenors. I was afraid I was going to mess that up. And maybe now a bit of a reprieve. I hope that they do not look at it as such. They have to go to Madison next week. Wisconsin has struggled. They're not all that they were cracked up to be. They're down a quarterback, but it's a good football team. Hell of a football coach. So Ohio State still has to take care of business. Before we get to that stuff, obviously we'll be back here with you guys on Wednesday. Chuck, we do have to end the pod with our usual winners, losers, and fantasy MVPs here. We definitely have to get to fantasy MVP because we didn't talk about the guy. But we'll do that last Chuck, give me a winner or two from yesterday's Ohio State game. Uh, I'm going to cheat. The defense is the big winner. Okay, then give me another one. Any... Oh, goodness. Ryan Day, because okay. his staff was ready to go. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. He's not going to get the credit for the play calling. I know people are going to be upset about that. They just keep winning. They keep scoring enough points. And if you're going to give him credit for anything, give him credit for the fact that he went out and hired Jim Knowles and James Laurinaitis and Tim Walton and Perry Alley. Like, you can't continue to hate on the guy when Ohio State continues to win games. So, yeah, he probably is a winner yesterday. For me, Cade Stover, four for 70, just continues to work his way up the record books. Farmer Gronk, Farmer Kelsey, um, Farmer Kellen Winslow Sr., like, I'm willing to call him whatever you want. He's my guy. And I'll give JT Tuimoloau. You went general defense. The dude just goes bananas against Penn State. There's something about seeing the white and blue across from him. He, gets red. he sees red. He's like a bull. So one of my winners yesterday was JT Tuimoloau, and I just like to get reps in saying his name. On the other side, Chuck, give me a loser or two. Uh, it, it's Travion Henderson, and I'm not going to uh, get aggregated with what I have to say about him, but it's him not playing hurts. You got to question it at this point, right? Like, finished a game, and we're not going to see him for a month? What's going on? But yeah, I'm not going to question anyone's toughness, but it's fair to at least question what the heck's going on. For me... I'm not going to say the guys who guy whose initials are JF. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to hint at it. You know who I'm talking about. I'll go with what it's not his fault. It's completely out of his control. Devin Brown, because we don't know the extent of his injury. It looked painful. I know that he fumbled against Purdue. I was starting to like the goal line package, the short yardage package with him in it because it, provides another wrinkle for the other teams to think about. So unfortunately, my loser yesterday is Devin Brown. Due to no it's of his no own it's of none of his own doing. Goodness gracious, I chopped that up, but feel free to keep it in. Devin Brown's an unfortunate loser for me. Fantasy MVP, you can take it. One of us is gonna have to give it to the guy at this point. But, Chuck, I'll let you go first. Give me your fantasy MVP for yesterday. Yeah, it's just Harrison. There's nobody else on the team that, that did anything points-wise. Even the defense, they were great, but they didn't – no turnovers or anything, so they wouldn't scored well. Harrison uh, carried any team he had he was on to victory. 
I guess by default, I mean, four for 70 from your tight end, that's okay. Fantasy production, give me Mayan Williams. And if only because I want to toot my own horn here. Chuck, I've talked about it a number of times. I said that at one point, Mayan Williams is going to make his presence known. He's going to have an important game, maybe a big game. I don't think that this one yesterday qualifies as such, but he carried the load. He scored a touchdown for the Buckeyes. So my winner yesterday was Mayan Williams. Chuck, we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to cut it off. Ohio State was a winner yesterday, not just on the scoreboard. I think nationally people are looking at this team saying the offense still isn't where it needs to be. And, and they're beating really good teams. The defense is standing on its head. They're a real entity. They're a force to be reckoned with now. So, again, kudos to Ohio State's defense. Kudos to Jim Knowles, but also Ryan Day, even Kyle McCord and Mayan Williams for doing enough. Marvin Harrison Jr. for really carrying the offense. It's a good team victory. And now we look forward to a tough one, a night game at Madison next week. Like I said, Ohio State can't just rest on its laurels. It has to be about its business and be ready to go and play at least a tough physical football team and take on Braylon Allen, who's a truck next week. But we'll get to all that. We appreciate you guys for not only listening, but sticking with us. We went a little bit long today, but when you have a performance like yesterday, I think it's warranted. So Thank you guys. Please interact with us on social. Send us emails. Send us hate mail for going 90 minutes. I'll read either one. But until next Wednesday, that's going to do it for Chuck and I. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. And as always, the way that we traditionally end this one means a lot today. Go Bucks.